This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Yo, everybody. It's David and Kyle here at Power Producers Podcast where we're whatever we're doing, man, or we, uh, we're refining and redefining the sales game, so to speak. And I'm going to tell you, we have an awesome guest with us today, Mr. Jason Kilgo, and I have beard envy. The beard <laughs> game on me is nowhere near strong enough to be on this podcast between Jason and Kyle. And, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I can't instantly grow a beard. I can't grow a beard if I didn't shave for three years. I would probably look <laughs> like some sort of a rescue animal. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm anxious uh, to get to it. Kyle was just explaining to us before yes. we got on about uh, his awkward holiday beard. So yeah. I'm gonna let him take let him take it away. I mean, I think everybody needs to learn from this. Please, please learn. From yeah, this. you know, my, my wife, she's pretty heavy in the social media. So I mean, she's seen all sorts of videos and pictures of people with things in their beard come Christmas time. So she she decided that it was the right move for uh, for me to grow my beard out last last Christmas and and get like all these ornaments and clip them in my beard. And there's pictures, obviously nobody can see me right now and I don't have them in right now, but there's uh, there's definitely some pictures up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever with, uh, with some, some Christmas ornaments hanging for, I didn't go all out with like the glitter, like we were talking about. Cause that's just, first of all, how the hell do you get that out? I'd be sitting here in, you know, in April still trying to get pieces of glitter out of my beard. It'd be a nightmare. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, hide those pictures. Uh, they tried to get up to me. I don't know. It was like a thing this year, like around Christmas. I guess there's like a lot of guys with beards. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they're trying to trying to get me to do that. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll pass. I'm good. I mean, you've got you've got enough length on that. Mine's a little bit trimmed up right now. I mean, but it, it's uh, it, it's something where you either go you go all in or you don't. I mean, it, it's not something you can do halfway. You know, I'm I'm never lazy about anything. But if you want to grow a great beard, that's the number one thing it takes. It just takes being lazy about shaving. That um, and you got to have some product. What kind of product are you using in that? You know, I was definitely, you know, exactly where I'm going with this because I am a big fan of Dr. Squatch. I mean, I'm just, gonna throw that, yes. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you know, I laugh about it all the time because anytime something pops into my newsfeed uh, in Facebook, that's a retargeting campaign. Usually Jason Cass and Travis Etheridge, uh, both who are business partners, both like that page already. So I 
you know, I know that it's got to be good stuff, but Dr. Squatch has the beard oils and all of that stuff too. So it's funny because they really do have good soap, man. It's not cheap, but if you want to get done at the gym and come back and take a shower and have it smell like you just dumped steaming (laughs) hot Christmas tree water on you, then that's exactly what it is. It is so refreshing, man, to have that pine tar soap. But, you know, it's, it's crazy because I, I bought a, um, I bought a pack from them when they were running one of their deals. So I get like 10 bars of soap at a time and it came with this cologne and I am not kidding you. This is like essential. It's like essential oil pine sap reduction. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, you know, who wears this Tommy boy? I mean, does this replace (laughs) the pine tree air freshener? I'm not putting this on. I'm not so in addition to being sponsored by HubSpot, I think we should sp- be sponsored by Dr. Squatch, man. We could get plugs in here all day. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So talk <laughs> about the product. You got to talk about the product. Well, I use a product called uh, Conman, and okay. I think it's a Gibson product. So Gibson does a lot of you know beard stuff. And um, what's funny is I'll go in to get a haircut and uh, you know just get it trimmed up, get it faded up, just get the beard trimmed, looking nice and neat. And um, – I'll, the haircut itself is only like, I don't know, 17, maybe $20. Um, I usually tip her pretty good, but I'll end up walking out with like a hundred dollar tab <laughs> because all, all the product yeah. costs, you know, so much money that, you know, they're making money every time I go in there. So I use stuff called common. It's more like a conditioner. So yeah. it doesn't give you that itchy feeling and it smells good. So, you know, typically my wife doesn't, she, well, she doesn't, she, she says she's okay with beer, but she probably really doesn't like it, especially now with the the quarantine thing. She's like, hey, you need to shave that thing now. You know, you've got bacteria <laughs> and all kinds of things in it. And when I eat, she's like, yeah, you're going to have to wash your face before, you know, I kiss you or anything because she's like, you've got, you've got things that I always thought I've got leftovers in my beard. Oh, uh, that's amazing. Out. But um, no, nah, you know, that stuff's awesome. It's like a conditioner. It cleans it, and then it also um, smells good. So good stuff. So I was talking – Oh switch. yeah, the football. The football. So you guys are Tampa Bay Bucks fans. I am. Dave, Dave's like a pseudo fan. I don't even know if he's a fan. He didn't even know that we changed our jerseys or what the difference was. So I, I, I can't really speak to his level of fanhood. Listen, I'm a real Buccaneers fan in that I will only subscribe to and as I go to Bucks games wear creamsicle branded products. Okay. <laughs> I've got I've got the Mike Allstott throwback creamsicle oh, yeah. jersey that's one of my go-tos that he's actually autographed right there in the zero of the four zero. I've got the throwback truck. That was such that. a stud, man. I've been Didn't watching Michael, some of his highlights lately. I, I feel he like to, I, he went to college in Virginia. Didn't I feel he? No, like, he went to Purdue. He went to Purdue. Oh, okay. He was a mm. boilermaker, but he may I be feel- from Virginia. Yeah, something's going on about Virginia. I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I remember something about Virginia. Cause I, he was an awesome player. Maybe oh, like he played. Maybe he played there one time and carried six guys on his back into the end zone <laughs> when he scored a touchdown. Seems to be one of his go-to moves. Oh yeah. Well, anyways, what I was gonna say is fantasy football-wise, somehow I always end up with Jamison. Okay. James Winston. Yeah. James, James, uh... I'm sorry, Jameis Winston. And what's funny is. As bad as he is, or is, or I mean, I don't he racks think up scored. fantasy points because yeah. the dude oh, throws for like four hundred yards. I mean, right. but he also has five interceptions, and it's and I mean that's that's the when you're a Bucks fan, that's what kills you because he shows glimpses of these you know games where he can just go and throw for four hundred fifty yards and five touchdowns, but then he's got three picks and two fumbles, and it's like 
you know, he hadn't really progressed. I, I was a big Winston fan. I supported him, but it was, I mean, it was, it was time to, it was time to make a change. It, and, and I'm glad they did. They finally, I've been following the Bucks forever. I guess, like I mentioned, I grew up here and I've always been a Bucks fan. And every season they disappoint me because they don't make any moves in the off season. I don't feel like they get the pieces they need to get in order to, you know, t- to be successful. And I feel like this season they finally, you know, at least made an attempt to do that. Um, and I'm hoping that we have a season <laughs> this year so I can, you know, watch Brady and, and and see what happens. I mean, if we can just get a couple guys in the draft and the O-line and maybe a DB, I think we'll be in okay shape to at least get a wild card spot for the first time since 2007. I, I heard, <laughs> this blew my mind. I heard that um, the last quarterback to make the playoffs for the Bucks, you know who it was, Dave? There's no way you'll get this. The last quarterback to make the playoffs for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if we had drafted. Vardy? I'm trying to think. <laughs> no. no, we played the Giants in the wild card yes, game. Yes, that's exactly and right. It, I don't remember if it was Josh Freeman that was the quarterback. That was my we, guess. Or it could have been the other Josh, right? There was the, another. There's Josh McCown, but no, it was, it was no, Jeff not Garcia. Him. That's right. Yeah, I forgot Garcia was here. Wow. I remember I, that now. I know. Crazy. but Interesting. Anyways, yeah, it's going to be an easy transition. It's going to be an interesting transition because the only drawback I see to all this is when you get a quarterback at that age. I mean, let's take Peyton Manning when he went over to the to the Broncos. You can't th- he couldn't throw the long ball, and that hurt no. him. And they're saying that Brady's going to be okay. But, well, Peyton you know, had had shoulder surgery too, though. So I, I agree. And, with you. and neck surgery. Yeah, so, because you're you're looking at Peyton couldn't even throw the ball across the field, let alone right, like right. The, the long ball. He couldn't throw from one sideline to the other barely. We'll see, man. If I mean, if the O line can protect him, I think he'll be fine. That's what I'm concerned about. And and you know, in New England, he had a decent O line where he wasn't like he gets the ball out quick. Like he doesn't get hit, he doesn't get sacked. But his O line also protected him a little bit. And I'm I'm not sold on our O line. That's why I think we need to draft at least at least one guy. Um, I'm sold. I'm sold on our receivers. Oh, oh man. Our, y'all's receiver our, crew is, yeah. is good. Studs from tight end to receiver. I mean, Godwin Evans, it's like you know, the Houston Oilers and Howard are all studs. Yeah, <laughs> right. How sweet uh, was Warren Moon's spiral when he threw the ball? By the way, just to get random for a second, that guy had a beautiful, yeah, beautiful ball. Dude, my favorite f- football game of all time, and I'm not a gamer. It's Super Tecmo Bowl. Dude, I was I, always the Oilers, man, because those four <laughs> receivers were just awesome. So Super Tech Mobile was literally my sophomore year of college. I majored in that particular uh, subject. <laughs> there were so many times that I should have been in class and I was in the middle of another season. We would blow through like a season a day in our suite, just 24-7 playing Super Tech Mobile. I actually liked the Bills during that one too because you had um, Thurman Thomas, yes. you had Andre Reed, James Lofton. Bruce yeah, the, the, oh, Bruce Smith with the little dump, uh, duck back around dive sack every time. You yes. know, he was brutal. And the uh, the Chiefs were really good in that one, too, because they had a Koye and Barry Word. Yeah, but everybody always tried to get the Raiders because of Bo Jackson. I mean, you couldn't catch right. him. I mean, if, no. he, if, he made, if he got around the edge and knew how to go up and down so you missed the, the dive tackle, oh, it was – it was money all day. I think it was him and one other one, right? It was it was him as a runner. Thurman Thomas was one. Bo Jackson was one. And I think there was one more. Maybe There was another one. And I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say Emmett Smith, but it wasn't Emmett Smith, was it? It may have been Emmett. 
But if, if, if those hit the, if the either one of those guys hit the edge on that game, and you knew how to go up and down, it touchdown all day. Like you just yeah. worked that. And then for receivers, Jerry Rice, all you do is throw it up. You, that's you slant, remember you that's go back across the middle, man. You have to go back the other, the opposite direction to throw the long ball, and then he'd always jump up and catch it in the, uh, the end zone. Yeah, my favorite move was that top route where it was the the V cut down and then into a fly, and I would look off that receiver, and then at the last second when they pulled the defense away, pop it up and hit him hit him for like 60 yards in the end zone every time. Good time. James James Lofton with the Bills was money on that route yes, all the was. time. Yep. Those those good times, good memories. I, I that was, you know, if I saw the game now it'd probably hurt my eyes. <laughs> um, but that was the game for 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 a long time for me. And then uh just never been a gamer. I would always get beat and 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 tell my brother. My brother's very good at games. Great hand-eye coordination. And I would always get mad at him because I was always bigger. Uh, we're only 16 months apart to the day, uh, huh. but he was always really good at the games. And I'd be like, all right, forget this game. The computer's cheating. Let's go outside <laughs> and play for real. That's kind of like, that was my thing. I was like, all right, you want to, you want to do this? All right, now let's go play for real. Look, man, I grew up in an era with Atari joysticks and a button, one joystick, <laughs> one button. I don't have enough hands and feet to control these controllers that they have now. I don't even know where to start with that stuff. Dude, it's funny. So when I was a kid, like Nintendo 64 came out. So I'm definitely, you know, way behind the whole tech mobile thing. But um, my dad, my dad, <laughs> the big cat would come out and wanted to get down on the Mario Kart because that's like the only thing that he felt like he could do. The guy sucked. I mean, he's and he's still terrible <laughs> at it. And <laughs> like it's it's great because he just I mean, he, you know, he would play Atari and all that kind of stuff back in the day, but he couldn't hang, man. Mario Kart is a good game, too solid my wife still plays it on the tv behind me here she sits up here and yells and curses at the tv it's awesome what's funny is i actually i got the headsets i got on right now because uh for a couple friends of mine moved one guy moved down to florida and uh try to get your get your referral here off of this off this podcast so that's that's a good move (laughs) on your part um but we got it to stay in touch online so we got some of these online games where we could all get online together, um, and we've played once. Really? And oh it's, my God. it's mainly because I just I don't have the time. I'm not really a gamer. I just I, I have so much going on. You know, usually right. when I'm home, it's family time, and it's hard to get those times booked off where everybody can get on and do it. And uh, what's funny is he's like, "Hey man, I see you online all the time." I'm like, "No, I'm watching TV through Xbox. Mm-hmm. Like now, I'm just using it as like a, a system where I can get on to." do everything else in my theater room. He needs to just blow you up with invites while you're watching Netflix or whatever, so that you're just forced to throw on the, you know, throw on the headset and exactly. get on and play some exactly. call of duty. Yeah. My wife thought, Hey, this will be good. We'll get you this Xbox. And you know, you know, uh, you said you wanted one to go live and yeah, it's been almost two years now. I've played once. <laughs> you, you may be the only person I've ever talked to whose wife actually encouraged them to get a gaming system. <laughs> yeah, she was she she was against it for a long time, but I think when the friends moved away, she wanted us to be able to stay in touch. But I mean, a phone call works just as well. Yeah, I'm thinking what what may be like if that happened in my house, there's a 100% chance there's an ulterior motive there. So <laughs> I don't know if it involves Louis Vuitton or Tory Burch or any right. of the other usual suspects, but there is going to be a nondescript package showing up at my door within days of an Xbox. I will say I'm a very good, I'm a decent uh, romantic. So I I treat my wife right. But if there was a hidden message on that, 
I completely missed it. So now you got me thinking, okay, what should I do? But, <laughs> um, so yeah, but my son is three. So I think, you know, because, you know, I have a son now, I think that was part of the reason why she was like, Hey, we'll get this Xbox. But we tried to, we did try to play, um, uh, he's a big superhero person. There's some kind of superhero game that's kind of like Mortal Kombat, where they each, you know, you can fight a bunch of superheroes. And he did like it, but he was just hitting buttons. He doesn't, you know, right. it's three still a little young. Really yeah, on. exactly. So he liked, I think he liked how it looked and he liked to see the, the superheroes come on there, but still too young. And so that kind of died out. And now it's just, you know, it's just sitting there collecting dust. Mm-mm-mm. Well, listen, we, we could sit here all day and talk about. God knows what, and people might actually be entertained by that. Um, but one of the reasons why I wanted to have have you on, Jason, is I know you created a lot of buzz out in San Diego when you did your presentation about uh, your past. So why don't you give everybody kind of a little bit of a background about, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you're at today so they can understand what your point of view is. Yeah, of course. I, uh, I started with Geico and really – I, oddly enough, I was living in Florida. I was living uh, in Fort Lauderdale and uh, from Richmond, but I had moved down to Florida after college um, and just said, hey, I'm going to go down there. Florida seems nice, sunny weather, beach. I'd like to be a part of that. I was actually selling cars for CarMax for a while, and uh, I feel like every job has been a great stepping stone to where I've been now, uh, where I ended up. And uh, Florida was great, but it was, you know, I was 21, 22 years old and it was uh, tough to live down there, uh, not having connections and, um, not, not used to all the, the, the tourism and everything else that goes on down there, especially at the bottom. And, um, obviously there was no career path. So I moved up to Fredericksburg, Virginia with an old roommate from college. He said, Hey, you can stay here for two months free and then you got to pay rent. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what am I going to do? I got to figure out how I'm going to get a job. He's like, you've got two choices, Geico or Capital One. And uh, I said, okay, well, I don't really want to sell credit cards. That's not my thing. I'll check out this insurance thing. So literally it was across the street from where our, our apartments were. So that was, that was awesome. I was like, Hey, it's right across the street. I uh, walked in there and uh, basically just kind of gave him an ultimatum. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm your guy. I need a job. I'll do whatever it takes. And they were kind of like, Hey, well, we go through this a little bit differently. It takes a little bit of time. And I'm like, okay, who is your number one seller right now? And so they were like, Oh, it's this girl. And you know, she's, she's all this, she's all that. I was like, hire me and I will beat her in a year. If you, if you hire me today, I will beat her in a year. And so they, they hired me basically on the spot and I kind of went in that, uh, in innovation, but what started at Geico did extremely well, top seller there shattered everything. I have got, a, I probably have some records that are still being held there. Uh, only did auto insurance, only sold auto insurance, but I'm talking about, I was selling probably on average about 12 to 15 policies a day. Wow. Um, you know, over well over 200 policies, a month. Um, and so my record over there is I sold 2,616 policies in one year. Um, roughly, roughly <laughs> 2,616. Well, I remember I was because I've got the plaque still here, but I actually, uh, you know, I took a picture of it in one of my slides because I want to make sure people actually believed it. Because when you do the math on that, it's it, even today, I, looking back at what we're doing now, it's like, man, wish I uh, had that kind of production numbers now I'd be invincible, but, um, you know, it was great. I got to meet, uh, I met Warren Buffett twice. Um, so that was cool. Um, uh, what was that like? Like, I mean, 
I, I saw that I, I saw that on on your LinkedIn that you had you know had dinner with them or met with them. Like, tell us about that. That seems pretty. So legit. I um, I, I, one of my flaws is I, I I'm not a big uh, uh I, I don't get along with a lot of old people. <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't feel like I have a lot in common. And um, it's just, it's hard. I think that, you know, they're, they're obviously old people are the worst, slower. And, and <laughs> so, yeah. Just don't just maybe, I, maybe it is a patience thing. I don't know, but I, I just, you know, it, it's, it's a tough time for me, but the, the memories I have of Warren Buffett are this uh, we're waiting outside the restaurant to get in uh, because he has, he has that, he has a whole section booked off. I mean, it's Warren Buffett. I mean, he's not just going to eat out in the, the tables with everyone else. We had our own room at the back of this, like it was real. It was a, it was a, interesting venue. It was a nice restaurant, but they had a pool hall in the restaurant in hmm. Omaha, Nevada, uh, Omaha, uh, Nebraska. And, um, you, uh, he pulled up in a 96 town car with a driver. That's all he had. This was back in 2004, 2003, 2004. Hmm. And the driver also was slash bodyguard. This guy was like, Dude, it's like, it's like Lou from back to school. That drove Rodney Dangerfield around. The same guy that played it was Burt Young, the guy that played Paul yes. in the Rocky movies. He was Rodney Dangerfield's driver and bodyguard. Like he's and like, bodyguard. He, he does like all, yeah. He's so, but this guy was actually pretty big. I mean, I'm six. I'm a six four. This guy was like he was several inches taller than me. Big guy. Anyways, gets him out of the car. He goes in first, and then we all come in. And it was almost like a. Um, like a, a field trip kind of kind of deal. We all got it like assigned seats where they wanted everybody to go. And of course I was top seller. So I sat to the left of them. And I wish I would go back in that time and brown nose the hell out of them um, and try to do whatever it took to be, you know, a protege. But I didn't. I just kind of sat there. And what he did was he came in and he told, you know, just stale jokes. I mean, and everybody laughed because it's <laughs> Warren Buffett, you know, and he was cool. Very down to earth. No, I mean, a blazer that was probably made in the seventies. Um, the guy is just a salt of the earth. I mean, he is, he is just, uh, you know, talking to a normal grandpa, you know? Uh, but he just kind of sat, talked to us for a little bit. And, uh, I mean, he was probably there for, you know, 20 minutes and mm. just rolled out and then we got to eat. He didn't even eat with us. So, Interesting. um, it was just kind of a, kind of a, he came, he met everyone. Well, here's the thing. It was, money making for him because he's, you know, uh, majority owner of Geico. So he, uh, we were, we were there to work his shareholders meeting. So it was like an incentive, but it was like a work trip still. So, Hey, we're going to fly you over to Omaha, Nebraska. You're going to meet Warren Buffett. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to cater everything for you. Oh, but by the way, you're working the whole weekend selling to all my <laughs> shareholders you know, Geico auto policy. So, you know, you'd wake up at eight o'clock in the morning from eight until roughly five, six o'clock in the evening, you've got a laptop set up. And as shareholders are going around to his, his meeting, his annual meeting, you're trying to sell him auto insurance, which is what he owns as well. So it was, um, I actually, uh, I hate to say this, but I turned it down the third time. I actually got invited to go a third time and I turned it down and, and no one's ever done that before. And I just, Dude, you got to You listen, you got to let Buffett know sometimes <laughs> Yeah, you just got to say, look, <laughs> get look, your look, dinner out of here, bro. Yeah. Look, Buffett, I don't deal well with old people to begin with in, 
you know, get, shame on me if you get me twice, but this third time, there will be no trifecta. <laughs> yeah, third time was not a charm. I, I just felt like I had more important things to do. I had to make commission. I had to, I had, to, I had other things on my mind. But um, And, and I'm sure, of, hey, I am sure Warren's sleeping just fine. You know? <laughs> I will tell you one thing I did learn about that event, though. Um, you cannot judge a book by its cover. I mean, there were some kids there. I mean, my age, there were millionaires. And I was hmm. like, wow. I was like, um, you know, I'm trying to find out and learn about them, you know, using the same sales te techniques I teach my staff and what I showed at innovation, I was doing to them. I'm like, hey, tell me about you. Let's let me find out everything I can. And um, yeah, man, it was interesting. All all cloths of life were at that shareholder meeting. And I really found out quickly that you cannot judge a book by its cover. And the beautiful thing is, and one of the reasons why I chose insurance is I was like, look, if I'm going to sell something. I want to sell something that's a need. I don't want to sell a want. I'm tired of mm -hmm. selling cars. Cars is a want. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. it's a need. You need a car to get to work. You need to do things. But it, you know, there's so many, so much competition, so much wants. With insurance, it's a need. You got to have auto insurance. So let's start with that. Uh, you buy a home, you got to have homeowners insurance. Everyone needs life insurance. I want to sell needs. So that's one of the things that kind of drew me in. But it was a good career. I mean, I got to say, I, I enjoyed Geico. Uh, just fast forward, just to, you know, we can dive more into that in detail. But um, what Geico did was they came out with a thing my last year there where it was called an A call. So what they did is, hey, whether you sell the call or not, we want to make sure this client is uh, this, this lead is, is delighted that we want to make sure they were thrilled with Geico, with everything we've got to say that they were trying to get their retention fixed. Well, the problem I had was the, the team, they called the A-call team, that decided whether your call was an A-call or not, were the bottom sellers. So I would sell a call and they would say, hey, you're not going to earn commission on this call because even though you sold it, we didn't think you delighted the client enough. What? Yeah. So that's what I did awesome, was, That's an awesome idea that I will implement immediately. Kyle, I fully expect you to delight every client and I will have a, a delight <laughs> – a delight index that we will be rolling out next week. I cannot wait for that. Well, so you can imagine my personality being a young, early 20-something-year-old with uh, a big ego and a lot of ambition. I pretty much let them have it, and they we I left the meeting with nothing solved and very upset. So then what I started doing is I started getting on the phone and saying at the end of the call, did I delight you? And they got super upset with that because they were like, look, you can't let them know that because then they know. And I'm like, well, how are you going to know? It's very subjective and y'all are affecting my commission. So it became like a, a, a big problem. And then at that time, I was selling over 200 policies. Well, they never – I can hear – listen, I can hear this in the, the smoky room where everybody's sitting around just banging heaters, you know, talking <laughs> about – this hey, this is this Kilgo kid. You know, he's the one who walked in and told us we needed to hire him right away, and then he told Buffett to screw off on the third <laughs> meeting. So, you know, <laughs> not exactly like that, but yeah, uh, but yeah. I mean, it just got down to a point where um, they were uh, blocking my commission, um, and then they were capping me, so they'd never end their, their wildest dreams. Some thought somebody would sell over two hundred and fifty policies a month. And they, what they started doing is saying, hey, we don't have a scale for over that. So the commission stops there. We're not going to give you sky's the limit. So I was like, Sucks. okay, maybe it's time to 
go somewhere else. So I actually went, I had a friend of mine that was in mortgages and he actually was my trainer at Geico my first year. And then he left to do mortgage. So I reached out to him. I said, Hey man, how's this mortgage thing? He said, look, it's good. I had a good friend from California that was also with Geico. He said, you're, you're an idiot. If you don't go over to mortgages, you'll kill it. So I walked into the mortgage. Uh, I went to bank of America uh, back in 2006. And I basically told him, um, I was doing the math in my head, yeah, man. This, this horrible is not timing. End, this does not end well. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I I did it. I listened to your last podcast with um, Lovell, and um, I, I actually just friended him because I, I, you know, we have a lot in common. There's a lot to talk about, but mm-hmm. the difference is he stuck with it, and I said I'm out. Um, and and I think primarily because he chose a better uh, company than I did. Uh, Bank of America just you know, still today is it's tough to do business with mortgage wise. I, well, it's tough to do business with a period. I quit banking with them because they took all of the humans out of our branch. Like, right. I don't, I don't feel, yeah. I felt like I was in total recall or something when I walked into the <laughs> branch and I'm dealing with virtual tellers and everything else. I'm out. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, definitely so did mortgages for a little bit. I just basically said the same thing. I was like, look, you need to hire me. And he's like, well, you don't have any experience. I was like, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm the real deal. I will make it work. And, uh, I just beat the streets. I out hustled everybody. I, I gained a huge real estate agent market share. Um, I was slaying about 10, 15 loans a month, did really well, but then market dropped 2008, 2009, uh, bank of America disarmed, you know, disbanded my team. I had, I had uh, some juniors that were under me. Uh, they took away my, my assistant, they took away my processor and they wouldn't give me refile business from the branches. So I was like, well, I either go to Wells Fargo, SunTrust, or I do something different. I was like, hey, I was good at insurance. I'm going back into insurance. I'll run my company. I could do it better than Geico. But then what I did was through my Allstate and then setting up my own independent now, which I wish I would have done the independent right away, um, I've learned how to really perfect how we want to do our sales calls to capture the business on one or two phone calls and then move on to the next and still build that personal relationship and keep it going throughout uh, that client's experience with us. So the question becomes, do you ask everyone if they're delighted at the end of a call? I do not. <laughs> I stay away from that. Um, we have nothing of the sort. We do We do a lot of role play. We do a lot of uh, meetings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always in communication with my sales staff to kind of know what's going on. We do a lot of, uh, we get a lot of Google reviews and really trying to get feedback from our clients. Um, I just filled out um, you know, survey or something I'm trying to do to kind of, you know, just send out to the books to kind of gauge the temperature. Uh, But we do really well. I mean, a lot of our business is client referral. So I don't even have to ask, you know, are you delighted? I, I, I know, you know, I've got my hand on the butt. That's good. I mean, you know, you made the comment, you wish you would have done it first. I'd probably argue with you. You needed the Geico, not even for the insurance experience, but the fact that you needed to get irritated with Geico so that you were that much more driven to be successful when you did your own thing. Yeah, everything's been a great stepping stone. Um, I could not be, a, you know, micromanaged like they're doing. Um, I mean, they would time you on your bathroom breaks. Um, you know, it's 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 funny. I had a guy did that to me. I was in the grocery industry, and it was before um, <clears throat> before I'd gotten promoted. I was actually just a, a stalker, still under the impression I'd be the next Kurt Warner that would rehabilitate oh, yeah. and go into professional sports after stocking groceries for a living. And I will never forget this. I had gone into the bathroom to take a leak and I came out and as I'm coming out, 
the guy that's the stock crew manager is coming back to find me. He's like, you don't go to the bathroom unless I say you go to the bathroom. I'm thinking, dude, I'm a grown freaking adult. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and he said, we, you know, we have productivity numbers we have to meet. I was like, then you need to go requisition a box of Depends off the shelf. And I will literally <laughs> pee my pants while I stock all night. I don't care. But if you're gonna if you're gonna monitor me, then you're gonna have to give me a way to not have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, like, what, what is, is the, what is that? When it started getting a little weird, and I started saying, okay, maybe this isn't a good career path. Uh, staying with them was when it was a hot day. It was like you know, hundred degrees, oh, well over hundred degrees. That's unusual for Virginia. And the supervisor, this is me selling over two hundred policies. I mean, this is toward the end of the month. I probably got about you know two hundred twenty policies on the board. She's like, hey, do y'all want milkshakes? I was like, sure. She's like, well, I don't, I've got, I've got, you know, something I've got to do. Would you mind going to get them? So I was like, sure, I'll go get the milkshakes, which is right down the street. I mean, this is not, this is not crazy. When got the milkshakes came back, she said, hey, you were gone 20 minutes. You were supposed to be back and, you know, you can't be on the, you can't be off the phones that long. You, you were supposed to be back in like 10 minutes. I'm like, that's impossible. It took me 10 minutes to get out of the building. This is a four story building over a thousand employees work in this building, probably, probably three to 4,000. And that just to get out of the building is, is 10, you know? So, uh, that's when I started saying, okay, this is a little much, um, this is not how I can, I can live life. And, um, yeah, uh, Mortgages really gave me the flexibility, um, gave me the entrepreneurship. You know, it was commission only. It's, you know, sink or swim kind of deal. Um, that's where I really kind of got the, the drive, the hustle, kind of learning how to build those personal relationships. And then getting it back over to insurance and running a business, it, you're right. It really kind of helped mesh the two together to kind of come up with what we have now. So talk a little bit about what you guys are doing now. I mean, I know you're doing good things up there. I follow you. I know you promote the living daylights out of homes for sale and all of that. So talk about how that sort of fits into your strategy. Yeah, so we focus on loan officers and real estate agents. Anything with a property transaction uh, for insurance, we want our name to be mentioned. So I just had a huge meeting with my team yesterday, and we're all about massive action. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the problems with a lot of these groups and, and pages and things that people, agents that they want to know, hey, what can I do this or what can I do that? And it's always something new that's kind of making them go, okay, I need to do this or I need to do that. And you got to have more than one approach. And I'm just like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going, I'm going deep dive. We're really good at working with mortgage loan officers. I've got experience in that. I know what they're thinking. I know how they how their daily um, activities go. We can help as insurance eliminate some of those problems and and solve these solutions. Help the cl clients save more money, um, which is going to make them look like a hero. Uh, we just need to take massive action and reach out to them. So I have a goal of trying to get uh, a consistent, you know, two hundred uh, referral partners that are giving us, you know, referrals daily, um, you know, it, it, you know, getting those referrals coming in monthly. And I know at our close percentage of, you know, 80 some percent, I know that's a win-win for us. So yeah, I mean, right now um, we're just really, we promote the heck out of work quicker than anyone about getting you a quote. So you call us and you can expect the best rate, the lowest rate uh, with a good policy, um, you know, with, with good policy coverages. Uh, in less than five minutes. 
Um, we're going to be able to get that over to you before anybody else. So we get you satisfied and then we're going to take care of your client better than anybody else. And then on the back end, we're doing more stuff with that client to try to get referrals and do things to give back to you. Um, and so, um, we're just about massive action right now, man. I mean, it is, it is not a secret. It is, it is just hard work. A couple of things. The first one is, you know, I think that it's interesting that you said you're just going to go deep because, you know, obviously we have killing commercial. It's the same process that I've been using for 15 years. There is no, while it may be a new and shiny object to other people that are out there that don't, that they don't really understand going after middle market or how you research prospects or define them or any of this stuff. It's nothing new, man. It's not a shiny object, but, but your point is dead on the money. You know, look at it when you go to any of these, and I don't go to a lot of industry trade shows or events or any of that. There's really, for me, I like going to innovation because I have a lot of friends that are there. You get to meet people. You and I met for the first yep. time at innovation this year and you build relationships exactly. with people that you otherwise wouldn't build. I'm not there to buy anything. And I know the vendors don't want to hear that, you know, but at the end of the day, I go to connect with people and to do whatever I can to maybe take one thing from the conference to make my game better. But you go out there and there's just so many shiny objects and you'll always see people like I'll see people with pamphlets from everybody. And I'm thinking you are going to execute on nothing because you have so many different things in I think that a lot of times when people – I talk to people about going through the Killing Commercial curriculum, they think it's a magic wand. It's not. Like there, I don't have a magic wand that is going to say, no, you'll never have to work again. You can just sit back and all of this stuff's going to come to you because you know this as well as I do. I'm huge on having channel partners. I recruit from channel partners, right? Kyle and I met because Kyle was a – rep for a company that I had a contract with. And I realized early on, I liked the guy, his sarcasm meter was equal to mine and we would probably get along really well. And he's done, he's done well for himself, but you know, I, I just, it blows my mind how many people think that you just build a business overnight. It, it, you can't, you know, it's every single day of not hitting that snooze button to make sure you get up to go to a coffee meeting or not having lunch by yourself or going to a networking event in the evenings or whatever else. And there's a certain amount of sacrifice that has to take place. But I'm 100% with you, man. Like I've said it my entire career. I'd rather, I don't want to make 10 phone calls to get one appointment. I want to make one phone call and get 10 appointments. That's you flip it on your head. And I think that by having channel partners and referral relationships that are rock solid in place is the best way to do that. The other thing I would tell you listening to what you said is our business models are like apples and Volvos, bro. We are so different in terms. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong, but your, your business model of, I mean, you guys are just churning volume and you're, you're meeting people's demand for, you know, instant society. We want everything now. We want the best deal, the best value overall. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that whatsoever because the product, the need that you're meeting, which is what you said you wanted to do, dictates that's what you have to do. I think that it is much more difficult. I, I, I think that the personal lines end of things is commoditized and you have done a very good job of giving them a commoditized experience without it being a commoditized experience. If that makes sense, because if you're telling somebody I'm going to turn quotes in five minutes or less, you're setting an expectation 
that does not scream value-based sale because a value-based sale, what I look at is sometimes takes me a year to get done. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's interesting that you can take agencies from so such different um, – I wouldn't say our philosophies are different. I just think the actual mechanics of how you run them are completely different depending on your audience. Yeah, I mean – I just took my past experiences and said, okay, this is what I want to do. And this is what I, I know I don't want to do. Who do I want to be with this new business? Um, and I think every business um, has their own pursuit of purpose, has their own commitments that they need to live by. Um, so, uh, you know, with Geico, I knew I didn't want to be micromanaging. Uh, Geico cannot do what we do right now. They can't. Um, no loan officer is going to say, hey, uh, you know, call Geico and expect the best for their client. Um, they just know that's not going to happen. The referrals don't happen that way. There's no relationship there. There's nothing personal about it. It's a transaction. I feel like I didn't want to be a transaction. Um, I, I wanted to be uh, one of our core values is touch hearts. I need to make sure on every call that we touch the heart of that referral partner uh, and everybody along the process, everyone, everyone along that journey. So the client, the title company, whoever's involved, uh, the real estate agents from the buyer to the listing side, everyone, I need to touch hearts. And that's from there, more referrals, uh, a better client, quality client uh, coming in that's going to want to give referrals, uh, better experience, better Google reviews. And all that means something to get you into the conversation of people talking about, okay, who's the best insurance companies? I love it. I eat and I eat and breathe uh, when when I see on Facebook someone says, "Hey, can someone help me? You know, I need to shop this insurance." And I'll get five, ten people that say, "Call Kilgo." I didn't do that; they did that, and that means more to me than me having to chase the business and say, "Oh, please call me. Let me help you." You know what I mean? Like I've seen so many agencies do that. I, I when I see it, I will not respond. I say thank you. I give them my link. But I let somebody else do the marketing for us. And that means more to me than anything else. And that's that's what I work hard for. So I knew I didn't want to be Geico, but there were some things I took from Geico. Like I worked on the sales call script. I mean, Geico, every 15 minutes, you're on a call. A call with Geico is never going to go longer than 15 minutes. Um, sorry, I don't know if this is live, but <laughs> this is this is working from home. So you know we're in the quarantine. This is uh, Troy, otherwise known as Troby, Spider-Man. He's my he's my three year old Spider Man. Yeah, you say hi. Yeah, so he uh, <laughs> he's out. He's man. My, oh man, he's my buddy, man. He's my buddy. He's he he wants to know exactly what I'm doing. He thinks it's playtime every day, you know. So he's like, hey, I'm kind of is right now. Yeah, he's like, I'm not in school. I'm only three. Um, you know, hey, let's play or let's go ride bikes. And I'm like, hey, man, I got to get this done. So I feel sorry for the kid, kind of because. You know, my daughter, we're constantly getting her educated. My wife is a nurse. I'm in here doing this. And my son's just like hanging out, watching Frozen 2 and all these other, you know, trolls or whatever new movies out 24-7 until 5 o'clock when I can get out of here and spend an hour or two with, uh, with him riding his bike. So it's kind of a kind of a crazy situation that we all have our challenges right now. Uh, mm -hmm. How, how often do you normally work from home? So we're, we're already remote before all this even happened. 
Um, oh, really? So, you, so this is normal for you? This is normal. Business as okay. usual, except for we usually have daycare. And we pulled them out Got of it. daycare when all this happened because we just um, we wanted to be safe. And we were like, right. hey, why well, spend the money for daycare if we're both going to be home 24-7? Because really, I am on the streets 24-7 with, with a laptop talking and meeting with loan officers. So real estate agents, loan officers, I mean, I probably have five meetings a day. Um, so this is a little bit different where I'm now inside more and, and more on the, in front of the computer, but now we're just kind of trans, uh, transitioning to zoom calls and, and just reaching out. And really all I've done the past week and a half is just reach out to all my loan officers, ask them how they're doing. I'm not selling them anything. I'm not trying to, you know, obviously I'm, I'm trying to, you know, keep that awareness alive, keep that attention on us for insurance referrals. But I'm just want to talk to them about how they're doing, what we can do to help their situation, how we're going to help grow their business in this difficult time. So we've just been doing that. What are some things that you look for when you're meeting with those loan officers in terms of partnering? What, like what's ideal for you and for them, I guess, for that matter? Yeah, it's just like insurance. We start off not talking about business, you know, just kind of, we started off this call. We want to talk about things mm -hmm. that they're interested in. So what I usually do is I do a little bit of research. I look up their Facebook page. I want to know, you know, are they married or, you know, are the kids, how many kids, uh, you know, uh, what do they like? Are there any hobbies that they do? So I'm trying to learn a little bit about them so that when I'm talking to them, it's like, uh, it's like a review, but I, I just want to hear about their experiences. Um, and then I want to know their struggles. Um, where in the process do we, could we fit in to solve uh, any problems they have or any holdups. Usually it's a holdup. It's never a problem. It's usually like, okay, we could be faster here, or this can be done better. Or, you know, can you help me with an introduction to a real estate agent? How can you help my marketing? So we apply, we go in, I mean, my conversations, even if it's coffee, typically last longer than an hour with these loan officers. I mean, we're sitting back and we're having fun and we're having a good communication and I'm learning about them, but also trying to formulate a game plan for them where I can help them uh, get to the, you know, get more deals, get, get better business model, get, you know, whatever it takes to try to keep us on the same page where I know I can uh, be an asset. Dave, Dave, Dave tuned out. He's, he's heard this all before. No, I agree with you, man. I thought I think we lost him. No, there, no, 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 there. not at all. No, no I'm here. Um, no, I listen, I'm, I'm listening to everything Jason says. You can learn a lot from this guy. I mean, anybody that, Basically, it tells Buffett to pound sand. You know, that's a guy that I need to. I need <laughs> to maybe I, should, maybe I should have said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You know, really, I don't. I think it was. It was because during that time, that's when they transitioned to the A call. That's when they capped my my pay. That's mm. when. They, so all these things started happening, and I decided, you know, look, why am I going to go away for, you know, three days, uh, take a weekend of my time where I know I'm just going to work. Right. And I could make more money where I'm at because, you know, the last two of these uh, these shareholder meetings I went to, these guys are millionaires that you're talking to. I mean, they're getting I don't I can't remember what it is. Stock A, stock B or whatever it is. I mean, they're, I think stock A now is like something like 50,000 a share or whatever it is. It's crazy. Um, and even stock B at that time, this was what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Stock B was uh, 2,500 at that time. So, I mean, these are, these are people that are wealthy and it was hard to sell them auto insurance. Like I would say, I'd be like, Hey, look, I'm saving you a hundred dollars here, $500 there. And they still wouldn't commit to it. And you only have that day. You're not going to follow up with them. 
It's, it's not going to happen. So I knew I could sell more policies at home than I could with them, you know, at that meeting. So I think it was a bunch of things involved. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just not going to go meet Warren Buffett. It was a lot of things that Geico was doing in their model that I didn't exactly agree with. And I think that's what, uh, that was the final sales. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to go do something else. I think that's, I mean, ultimately that's no different than why I left the grocery industry. I was killing it, man. I mean, I had our base salary wasn't that good, but we got sales incentive for, we had sales incentive with another kicker of if you exceeded your budget in sales, same thing with the profit side. And we had a new um, CEO come into the company and he did a trail of tears tour with all of the other agency owners that are out there and listening to them gripe about how much they made basically was all the people that weren't producing, right? So they made the decision they were going to crush the bonus structure the way that it was, raise everybody's base salary about thirty dollars to $35,000 a year, and then take away the bonus structure as we knew it. Well, guess what? Like almost $100,000 a year of my income was bonus. You basically just told me to take a $70-some-thousand-dollar-a-year some year pay cut to come to work. Like, I don't get it. And I, I'll never forget it. I called my district manager and I asked him, I was like, listen, man, if you, I said, I trust you. You've always been good to me. If you tell me that this is going to be okay, I'm not going to think negatively of, of it. But I really, my question is, why should I come to work for half price? You know, why should I come to work for half of what I used to make tomorrow and continue to get you exceptional results? And he said, David, this is the beginning of the end, man. Get out while the getting's good. You have to go find something else. He said, because I don't see this getting any better, um, you know, over time. If I'm in your shoes at that age, what Geico is telling me is, yeah, it's okay. We just want you to sell less. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> it. There's no, there's no reward for you to sell more because there's no incentive. I mean, that just absolutely blows my mind that that actually came out of somebody's mouth. Well, like I said, I had a big ego then. And what I told him was, I was like, hey, look, so the last week of the month, I'm just going to take off because that week I'm working for free. Yeah, why not? And they didn't like that. They wanted (laughs) me to work and get a small base just to finish out the month. And I'm just like, look, I should just be, I should just have off because I've already hit the quota. Listen, you keep your base, you keep your shakes and you tell Buffett number three ain't happening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, and. What you've all, what, what everything we just talked about there and what you just said, I think is huge for a lot of agencies out there. Culture, culture of the agency is, is, is big. And, you know, speaking of this whole quarantine mess and what's going on, we went remote long before this, this even was, was even, you know, thought to come about, um, you know, no one suspect, no one suspected it. And so we had a situation where, um, our lease uh, was it kept going up? I mean, and, and these people really just wanted us out. I mean, it wasn't just going up your average three, four percent, it was going up like hundreds of dollars. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I just obviously they want us out, we can't stay here. Well, my top producer, who actually comes from the Ucrops bakery, not even related to insurance, never thought it would it would work out like this. She has an autistic son and and he has appointments in the afternoon. And I was, I was like, okay, why don't we just have you work for remote? Why don't you just work for home? During the day, you can take them to the appointments. You can pick them up from school, do whatever you've got to do. And as long as you just get the work done, then everything's perfect. You mm-hmm. know, all I'm asking you to do is sell policies every day. So 
it worked out beautifully. And then we just kind of all went that way. And so my team's all remote. So when all this hit, we're already on Zoom. We're already working remote. Business as usual. And it's a great thing because I think the number one thing for culture of what people want out of a, of a, out of a job is they want freedom. Um, and I was able to provide that. And we all still talk. We all still see each other on Zooms. We all still have one-on-ones. We all still do meetings. Nothing has changed. Um, it all is still there. I do a lot of Loom videos. So everything is good. And, um, you know, it's business as usual, but we didn't have the panic that a lot of these other agency owners were going for, through of having to be remote. We were already set up that way. And I think that's the way we're going to continue. I'm just going to pick different parts of the state, different parts of the city. And we're, I'm just going to hire people and plug them in. And that way we can cover more territory. Yeah, I think that's smart, man. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly about people needing freedom. It, Kyle, I don't think we skipped much of a beat, you know, having no. to, you know, go remote, which tells me I'm throwing a bunch of money on rent away every month. But, um, yeah. you know, we don't, in the nature of what we do, nobody comes to our office to do That's deals right. anyhow. No. You know, nobody, in. never. I, I can tell you in, in 16 years, I can count on one hand the number of times a client has actually done a deal in a conference room of an agency where I work. And I can tell mm. you of those, like two or three of them ended up being really bad deals. So I don't like, yeah. you know, like our, like our friends uh, down Shut. the way, you know, but um, you know, the other thing I think people want though, is in addition to not, not just freedom in terms of, you know, flexibility and stuff like that, but freedom in terms of thought process too. You know, one of the things that I think that a lot of businesses get wrong is that they are so set in, they don't allow people to innovate. They don't allow people to come up with a better way. And, you know, I, I believe that there are things that I do that are really, really good. I also know that just based on the fact I'm human, there are things that can be improved on. Right. I'm never going to be that person that's so stuck in my ways that I'm going to dig my heels in and argue that this is the only way to do it. Now, if you're a producer and you're not making your numbers and you tell me that my process sucks and I look at the process and see that you're not committed to it, that's not the time for you to be creative. That's the time for you to be following the process because that's what you're expected to do. But I've been, I can't even tell you the number of times I've been a part of organizations where I have really good ideas and they're just crapped on. Like Florida risk exists because of that. I basically started my agency to do everything that was poo-pooed where I was before. And, you know, I was leaving the insurance industry. I was going to have nothing to do with insurance at all. And my wife's the one who roped me in and said, look, you've been complaining for years that you could do things differently and be really successful doing it. I got your back, go do it. So I think it's the freedom of being able to, you know, the, the, it's nice to be able to work remote and have some flexibility in your day and all of that. But I think that we can't keep people captive to thought processes either. I think that we only get stronger with other people giving us ideas on the way that they perceive things. And I mean, that's not limited in my opinion, at least in the commercial world, that's not just limited to your team. That's clients too. There's a lot of times clients give me things, you know, you should think about doing this. Great. If you think that, so does about half the other people I'm going to call on. So I think I'll go ahead and implement that immediately. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things we're doing with the survey. I want to I want to see what people you know really look at us. You know what where we can improve, how we can get better. Um, sometimes you know I I've always 
have is my this client. an are you delighted survey no it is not it is not <laughs> i am i'm totally against that this is more of a <laughs> hey i think we're good but we could be better you know right. i want to kind of know where the measure measurement is for us i mean we have we have so many things that go out that kind of pre-fill five stars um obviously their comments are genuine and i appreciate that obviously we're getting a lot of referrals from social media but I want to I want to see what their real thoughts are, so I can get the survey and the ones that fill it out have something to you know, that feedback is is critical to what you know how we gauge how we're performing, what we can do better. Uh, maybe they like you said, they, what if they give us some ideas on some things that I haven't thought about that can really change the the way the dynamic of how we do business. So um, I think that's important to do. Another thing I was going to say though is you know everybody right now video is so important. Right. Everybody's doing video in one aspect or another, whether it's education and training for your staff, whether it's doing policy reviews. We, my uh, account manager, who's well into her 50, she's always talking about retirement. I don't ever, I told her she's never retiring. <laughs> um, she, she, you know, this kind of technology, I think she was, she was a little taken back by it. You know, she's like, okay, I'm a little nervous to show my face. I'm a little nervous to do this and that. She just did a policy review on a Zoom call, shared everything with the client. And fantastic results, um, upsells, cross sells, you know, all these all these things happened off the Zoom call that I think people are just not taking advantage of. Uh, you know, we need to be able to make sure. I mean, we we're not hiding anything. The rate's going to be the rate. The discounts are the discounts, but it's the way we perceive the value, how we treat the client, the personal touches we can do for it. Name me another insurance agent that's sharing their screens on a Zoom call and going through a pause review. There's not many, if any at all in Virginia. So, uh, or in the nation. So I think it just, you know, we also are starting to do things with loan officers, you know, uh, happy hours, um, you know, sending them lunches. Hey, can, you know, if we can get their home address, we can do a DoorDash, send them a lunch for the time of our Zoom call. And while we're talking, wouldn't it be cool for the doorbell to ring and their food arrived, they didn't even expect it. So things like that we're doing to really just get involved and really just have a, a better experience with us, touch their heart, get them to see, hey, this, these guys are for real. These guys are different. People, you cannot underestimate the value of making somebody feel like the most important person to your organization at that time. It doesn't right. matter if it's a client. It doesn't matter if it's a prospect. It doesn't matter if it's a team member. People like to be valued. And, you know, I get a lot of flack. People tell me I'm extra because I go above and beyond to try and make people feel like we value them because we sincerely do. You're going to experience this, brother, because you're going to get a gift box from us with some really cool stuff in it. Oh, cool. And, Sweet. and you know, at the end of the day, when somebody comes on the podcast or somebody's our client, or somebody joins Killing Commercial, we have a customized package that goes out to those people from us that is above and beyond what they would ever get from anywhere else. And it's funny because we have, um, one of the things we include is a Tervis Tumblr. Tervis is a com company that's local to us. And we put blue and gold gummy bears in a Tumblr for Florida Risk, along with a couple other things that go into a client welcome kit. Kyle actually has clients that are asking for gummy bear refills because wow. Dude, they're they, pissed, man. They are not playing around. They want their gummies. <laughs> 
it is it, it's crazy but i want somebody to open that and that i want that box to make their day it doesn't matter who they are i want them to be like wow somebody really put thought into doing this for me and there's listen we are in we're in agency forums where agency owners are talking about different things and i love to watch the dichotomy of people who believe in creating an awesome client experience versus people who say i'm good I've done it this way for 30 or 40 years and it's worked for me. I don't have to do any more than what I'm already doing. And I just sit back and watch as the two sides argue, realizing to myself, I could throw my two cents in here, but nobody's changing the other one's opinion in this whole thing. I think your head's in the right place, brother. I think you're doing the right thing. I think it sounds like you're doing the right stuff by your team, by your clients. I can tell you, I feel like I'm a better guy for getting to know you. Um, And I appreciate I appreciate what you've shared with us today. The one thing I do want to do is give you a chance to let everybody know how they can find you. I know that we have loan officers and real estate people that are going to be listening from your area, probably already doing business with you. But if they're not, this this is your chance to let them know, brother. Yeah. So Jason Kilgo, I'm not hard to find. Um, Kilgoinsurance.com. You can also email us at goinsure at kilgoinsurance.com. Um, office line, off, we take calls, text 804-403-7400, but I am not hard to find. I am everywhere, so um, you can Google me. If you are in Virginia or anywhere close, this is a guy you need to know. He will definitely make you better. He'll help you sharpen the saw. Jason, thank you so much for your time with us today. Had a blast chatting with you. Would love to have you back at some point and hear uh, hear how you've grown and, and all of the investments you're making now have paid off for you. Yeah, I will be down in Tampa next innovation. I told you I'm gonna swing by. I want to try some of those <laughs> succulent meats that you uh, put on the put on the grill and smoker. <laughs> and uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been a, a really good time. Uh, just just had a blast. Always have a blast talking to you, David. You're always a, a fun guy to talk to. Kyle's nice meeting you. But yeah, Likewise. appreciate. It. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, man. We'll talk soon. All right. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.